and Eve Sarianos. Hello, I'm Emily Gilmarrett. Hi, I'm Adam Gifford. This is the School of School Podcast. Okay, welcome back everyone. So today we are talking about early years reform. So come on Adam, I know you I know you got stuff to say about this. Yeah, I have got a, I have got a few things to say Andy. I think that um I mean we've got to start off by saying wherever there's reform, wherever there's change in statutory, you know, documents and and supporting materials, there's always a spectrum as to how people respond to it. So let's just accept that right at the beginning that some people will think that these reforms are great, others not so flash. And there'll be plenty of people somewhere in the middle. So we'll just accept that that's the case. But I think that that some of the things that, that are probably worth talking about is the potential impact for some of these reforms, maybe a, a bit of the motivation for those uh, reforms. And just thinking really about, you know, we, we've got this amazing opportunity every September. We, we, we get these children into our school and they're precious. Huh? And so they come in. And they're just wide-eyed, and for some of them, if they've not been to a nursery in the school, coming into reception, uh, it's a brand new time, and it's really exciting. So I think that that what will probably be most useful is to see how we can support the new reforms and have best practice in amongst it all. So that, that's what that's what we're going to aim for. So just to start with, the first thing that I, I want to just touch on briefly is. It's been slimmed down. Some of it has been slimmed down. The Development Matters document, which is the non-statutory support for the early years foundation stage framework, has been slimmed down a bit. And part of the reason for this was, and I've observed this in in classrooms, is that the Development Matters and and the supporting that, that supporting document was seen as a curriculum. And I think we need to be really clear about what a curriculum is, right? So I just think if we break it down to three parts, the curriculum's what's taught in a school. It's unique to every school. It has to be because it has to represent the children, your teaching staff, the expertise, your community, all of those sorts of things. Then thinking about the teaching of it itself and then thinking about assessment. You know, how do we know whether this is working for our kids? One of the, one of the criticisms that's taken place is there in the previous document, there was this sort of linear progression through ages. And it was almost as if that took the place of the curriculum. Yeah. Except none of us, none of us work and learn in a linear fashion, you know. So the danger is we're missing things and we are so focused on that next linear step that we're missing out on some of the amazing things we're doing. And also it it has the potential to take adults away from the children. And I'll give you an example, a real life example of being in a a reception classroom and I was sat with a wee boy and I was sat with um, one of the teachers and uh, he was sort of making marks or it was, was I won't go into the the details of the assessment, but effectively it was just seeing about his mark making, fine motor skills, those sorts of things. I said, oh mate, what's your name? And he said, oh, my name's Dylan. I said, oh, pleased to meet you, Dylan. How are you doing? You know, and had a bit of a chat. And I said, Dylan, can you show me something in this classroom that you've done? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. See that picture up there? I said, oh, I said, did you draw that? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, keep in mind that this whole activity, this one-on-one time with the teacher was to assess whether or not this child was capable of making marks and doing it in that fashion. He pointed it out to me within the first, what, 10 seconds? 
So the task itself dictated what was being learned because that was the next step. It's ridiculous. Dylan had already shown within seconds that he could do it, right? You just observe a child and, 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 and you can do it, yeah? So it's these sorts of things that we need to be really careful of that we're not so caught up in the minutiae, so caught up in these incremental steps and, and use them as a curriculum where really what they are are just wee checkpoints that we might check against. We need to make sure that we're knowing our children and we're working with our children and they're going to show us so much along the way. But it does, it does bring up, you know, it does bring up a lot of, a lot of questions about what is the purpose of a curriculum and, and, and um, you know, how didactic should it be inter- interpreted and used in the classroom. Um, I suppose if you lack confidence, the the easiest thing to do is to to use that document as your justification for anything, right? Like if you don't know, if you're a new teacher, you've never done this before, you need something, right? So that curriculum, you're just going to follow it because because that's you don't know, right? You don't have experience. Uh, if you're really experienced and you're still doing that, yeah, you one would be quite worried, right? Um, but where's the balance? Like, should we even be writing a curriculum for early years? Why don't we start with that? So, so, so I think you're absolutely right about balance, right? So, so on one stage, we've got these stages that we can put in and we can, you know, we, we can, we can look at those. We can use those as, as these checkpoints. But I think that what gets talked about a lot is like a journey or, or understanding what the end result is. But I think that where it comes, where it becomes more difficult, particularly if, particularly if you've just started teaching, is do you know all of those little parts that feed into understanding numbers to five, for example? So we can talk about here's the lesson structure. We can talk about here's where it relates to the, the curriculum. But we know that when we're supporting uh, practitioners through, through the, the materials we develop, that, that we know there's more to it than just, you know, learn this, then this, then this. We know that within every lesson, there's an opportunity for a whole host of things to take place. So I think what needs to be really clear, and we, of course we need to support practitioners with this and it doesn't stop, is understanding how we get to a stage. Just pick a checkpoint, doesn't matter where, but how do we get to that? But I think what's also crucial is why are we doing it? So why does a child need to know, how does, how does counting to 10 help them when they get into year six? You know, what, what, what part does it play in all of this? And what may be learned along the way? So I think, I think you're absolutely right. Of course we need that, that some form of structure and support. But equally, I think that we need to, this is probably a reasonably big statement because I'm not suggesting for one second this doesn't exist, but more professionalism into the into the, the workplace. So we're working on these things together. We're understanding when we look at how we can develop certain ideas, how 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 are they developed? What can we do to support that development and, and practitioners to understand why we're making those decisions? So I think that there has to be space for both. It is and it isn't. Look, you know, like... If you if you try to dissect things into you know um, issues that need to be resolved, it's quite evident that there's lots of ways that 
a year of schooling, regardless of what age group it is, could go horribly wrong. And there needs to be some accountability in the system. Like the government has a responsibility. They, they gather taxes and they give that money out to people who are responsible for teaching all of the children within that society, right? And that's a huge, tremendous responsibility. Now, at some point, when you start looking at big numbers, millions of children, it's going to fail somewhere. Somewhere it's not going to work. There's going to be a school that's absolutely catastrophically horrible, and there's going to be outstanding cases, and the mass majority will be somewhere in the middle, right? But you need to be able to do something about that. So in order to do something about it, you need to state what it is that they need to do, right? So you need to, on some level, say, by the end of this year, these children should all be able to do this. Sure. So you need to list possibly just outcomes. Like that's almost a necessity. If a school or a particular teacher, a particular classroom, whatever it is, however, a, a whole county or district is regularly failing at meeting that criteria, then there needs to be some form of intervention at the top level, right? Absolutely. So without a curriculum, you can't do that. No. Yeah. So that's one extreme. Now, the other extreme is the day-to-day things that a teaching professional needs to do to help those children along their learning journey. That's an entirely different thing, right? So somewhere there needs to be some accountability, but there needs to also be the flexibility to be able to do what you need to do in the classroom to make sure that that those children have the learning experiences that they need to have so that they're ready for the ne- their next stage of learning and you know a curriculum plays it plays a huge role in that but it's not supposed to be a straitjacket right no and i think that's the thing i think that that's where it becomes difficult because or has been difficult in the past for some practitioners because it's just being used as we're looking as if it's a checklist as if I'm not bothered about what Andy's doing, but because all I'm focusing on at the moment is whether or not he can do this. So this other stuff that he's doing, potentially, that's that's gold to me in terms of assessment, but I'm too focused on the next step, even though there's other things that you're doing that you know will feed into something somewhere else that's utterly valid. And I think that, that brings me to something. I mean, I've, I've done this with this activity with a lot of teachers, and I'll, I'm going to put you on the spot a wee bit here, Andy, so brace yourself. But it should, be, it should be okay. No, it should be right. So we have to make decisions all the time, right? So, so if I was to say to you, what would you say? If, if, like, how would you know if a child knows what three is? You know, like, what, at, what, at what point would you say, yeah, that child knows three? Just shoot from the hip here, right? Just because there's no, there's, by, by the way, as far as I know, I don't know that there's a single correct answer, okay? So just let's, let's just have a go at this. There isn't. But there isn't a, uh, uh, like, uh, you could argue that there isn't a correct answer for any question. Right? Sure. I, I had a great, que- I read a great question in a book yesterday, right? And, and uh, it was, how many holes are there in a straw? Oh, good question. Now think about it. Well, I'd say there's one. Really? Why isn't it two? Well, because the end, they're just the ends of one continuous hole in the middle of a straw, no? <laughs> Is it not? Yeah. So whatever. Like, just think about it. I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too far. But you know what I mean? There's no right answer to that question. 
Uh, how do you define a hole, right? Jumping back to three, I hope you're not dodging this question, Andy, but just give me a few things. Give me a few things. I'm not trying to dodge the question, but I'm just trying to illustrate a point that, they, that you could argue all kinds of intellectual yeah. stuff around even the most simple question. Look, how do I know if a child, if a child knows the number three? Um, right, well, I would expect that they can rote count to three, one, two, three, four, five, six, beyond, right? I would hope that they could tell me what's one less than three and one more than three, mm -hmm. right? That would give me an idea of some form of understanding, right? Um, I would hope that they could count three objects, yeah. maybe even just subitize three objects, yeah. right? Without So subitizing means you just look at the number and you know it's three. You don't need to count it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and everybody can do that up to a certain number. Right? It gets more complicated. Past five, it gets difficult, right? But usually you can look at three objects and you know it's three. You don't need to count them. Okay, so I would expect them to be able to do that. Now, that's the, that's the easy, obvious stuff, right? So the other thing is, okay, depending on their age, so let's say it's like a five-year-old, right? I would expect at five that they could look at the number three, the symbol three, and tell me that that represents three, right? Okay, I would also expect that they should be able to have a really good attempt at writing a three. They might do things like write it backwards and stuff, but that they recognize the form well enough that they, they can see that it's a three or meant to be a three, right, when they write it. What's interesting is none of these things have to do anything with threeness of three, right? But they all need to be done, yeah? Because the most important thing about three is that there's three different representations of three, right? That you need to understand in order for you, you to understand three. You need to know the cardinal aspect of it, that when you're counting three objects, yeah, if you say to that child, show me three, if they show you the third one, they don't really have the, the idea of cardinality, right? They, they think the third one is, has the label three and that three doesn't represent the first three that they counted. So that's cardinality. They need to be able to do that. They need to be able to say, so if I gave them five counters and I said, count all the way to five, now show me three. If they showed me the third one, that's the wrong answer. They need to show me the first three, right? So they need to be able to do that and understand why that's correct. Okay, the next thing they need to be able to do is they need to understand it in an ordinal fashion, mm -hmm. being the third, yep. right? Yep. Yeah? and understand that being third, like being third and being sixth, you don't add those two together, right? Like there's no rational reason why you add nominal numbers together. They represent something else, right? So they need to understand the difference between nominal numbers and cardinal numbers, right? So numbers that represent a set versus numbers that are show what order you're in, right? Ordinal numbers. You need to also understand that sometimes numbers are nominal, so nominal numbers are like bus number three, right? It has no mathematical value whatsoever. You would never add bus number three and bus number seven. There's no reason to ever do that, right? So the number is, a, is just a representation that's nominal. It's a noun, right, to represent something. Okay, now that's quite a long-winded answer, but I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants here. But this is like... Okay, I work in math education, and I have done for the last 15 years, done nothing else but work in math education. So I, I, that's my understanding of it, right? I probably missed a whole bunch of stuff.
No, no, no. But but the point that I wanted to make is 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 illustrated beautifully, and you're probably not going to realise this, but let's say I'm a teacher, and I'm I'm working in the classroom, and my understanding of a child's understanding of three is they 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 can look at the symbol three and they say it's three, and they can draw three. Now, if let's just say now I'm exaggerating this a bit, right? But let's say that I'm the other teacher in the other class. You're one teacher. I'm the other. And we both say, we both have that experience. Like yours, you've witnessed these different things. Whether it's in a, in, in a math lesson, and this is the point, whether it's in the enhanced provision and they're, they're playing, and you've witnessed some of the things that you've talked about, you're mindful. You're like, oh, look, it's Dylan. He's just done this, and he's told me about three here. He's done this, he's told me about three here. Dylan is all over three. Because you know it, you're able to spot these situations and assess really well, right? If I only know it as, oh, can you make the right sound, like maths, phonics, you know, make the right sound when you see the symbol, and I say that that's, that's good enough for me, you know three, well done, Dylan, well, then our year one teacher's going to have a bit of a problem, right? Because there's going to be two children who apparently are at the same, you know, they have the same understanding of a number. And this is the sort of exercise that I think is really important when people go back in September. Because you've got these expertise all over the classroom, whether it's maths or whether it's any other anything else that's being done, and that having these conversations about what is it to me, one, I can learn a whole lot, right? So you talk about that. I may have picked up four or five different things and I'm going, oh, Andy, can you tell me a bit more about those numbers? Oh, you know, I've not heard of those ones before. Straight up. So how would that be in the classroom? Where, what might the opportunity be that I'd look out for? Or what is it in this one here? So I always think that, that, that having the conversations around those endpoints, you talked about endpoints, and knowing and understanding what they look like, in going through them, you start to describe the journey. So you start to describe all those little steps that, that may reach that security. And I think that, that it's those type of conversations that we have, you know, when we get together in September, when we come back, not so they can report to a head teacher, not just so oh, I get a pretty folder or I get an email through with the results, but more than that is it gives me an opportunity to say what goes into knowing that and then I can extrapolate that out. What you've just said is true for every number. You know, three's not nothing, it's nothing particularly special about three. Well, we could argue a couple of things, but let's not. We're talking about, you know, forget that for the moment. But what you've said, we can use for anything, right? So, so that whole idea, I think, you know, yes, there's reform, yes, there's change, but there's a, a huge amount of good practice going on. So we don't need to make sweeping changes. But what we kind of, I think we need to be very clear of is when... When something's been slimmed down, they're saying, these are the end points. This is what we want all of our children to get to. And we think it's possible for all of our children to get there. Then really unpicking what that might look like is a really, I think, a really nice way of looking at those contributing steps. So when you're in the classroom, you're mindful. You're not having to do just a one-off. So I have to sit down with Dylan or, or, or sort of construct it so he's third in the queue, or you know what I mean. Like, like I can I can observe that. Uh, it's something that I think is is really really important, and I think that that this this was the problem in some situations with the uh, with the way the old development matters was set out, is it was so everything was so specified that it just became these series of steps that kind of 
almost felt like you'd taken the child out of it. And I know that's not how, with the intention of it, and I know that's not what, there's no practitioner that goes into teaching to say, I can't wait to just, you know, I got into teaching so I could assess every one of these steps and then email it to my head teacher. What a job. You know, people don't go into it doing that. So there you have it, I guess, right? There's all the answers regarding early years reform. <laughs> yeah, right. Everything yeah, just... you ever needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> <Seen completely. laughs> Thanks, Andy. Yeah, not quite. Might be a couple more things to touch on, but that's for another time. Thank you for joining us on the School of School podcast. Mm-hmm.